All right. Welcome back uh, to Radio Free Brooklyn. You are listening to another uh, episode edition of Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour. It is a sunny yet seasonably appropriately cold Sunday. I disagree. <laughs> January 19th. Do you think it's too warm? It's hot. It's yeah. crazy. It's not supposed to be like this. Yeah, I mean, I mm, I don't know. I felt chilly and then the sun came out and it felt it's better than last weekend. Yeah, that was super last weird. weekend. Gave me the heebie jeebies. When <laughs> like you it, said seasonally appropriate. You sounded like my mother describing my cousin at a wedding. <laughs> oh, he's, he's dressed seasonally appropriately. With such pride in her voice. <laughs> the ability to pick a seasonally appropriate Don't dress outfit. seasonally unappropriate if you're in the Midwest. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're living in a warming world and it's either let it bother you or you just like, just thank God for it. It snowed yesterday like it was supposed to. Yes. Grateful for everything and fearful of everything. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just the three of us today. Yes, that's right. I'm Emily. I'm Matthew. I'm Jasmine. And Matt's running the boards today. Good job, Matt. Yeah. How those levels look. Great. Looks like we're not peaking too hard. Not too hard. Not too low. Yeah. Good job. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we have a great show ahead of us. Uh, We're going to be talking about Biggie Smalls, space, vaccines, and much more. Um, or just a few more topics. <laughs> um, and yeah, the three of us are in the studio. And uh, any other news for the day y'all want to talk about before we dive in? I don't. I don't think so. Cool. I, I well, I, I I think I've I've discovered that I'm. Uh, I had an interview this uh, this afternoon, and I set it up for the wrong month. Because I guess in my mind, ones or twos mean January. I don't know why. And I looked back at the email where I set it up and I, I have the date listed like six times. And each time I have the wrong date. Oh, no. So the interview already happened or it's coming up later today? It's it's supposed to. Apparently to the, the email, I set up an interview to do in, on February 19th. Okay. But it's supposed to be January. I don't know. I just feel very Silly. I have a little bit of a dyscalculia. Oh, mm-hmm. is that like number dyslexia? Yeah, I learned that from that the that Kevin Hart film where he's dyslexic, but for numbers. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, there is a word for that. <laughs> That's awesome. My only other news is that I had two cups of coffee today. So I've said this to four people, but my whole body is vibrating right now. Which is just okay. an abnormal amount of coffee for me. So Good vibes <laughs> only. Hopefully. <laughs> it's it's toe in the line between good and bad right now. You know? Okay. All right. But I do have the first story of the day. I'm yes. going to dive in, y'all. Okay. So we're talking about vaccines again, which we, um a few months ago or multiple times when all the measles stuff was going down, we started talking about. And um, again, with yeshivas, I think we also recently talked about vaccines in uh, that community as well, the Hasidic community. But now we're talking about New Jersey, just the overall state. Um, So a proposed bill to end all but medical exemptions from vaccines for children in New Jersey fell apart earlier this week after intense protesting from anti-vaxxers, a.k.a. the anti-vaccination movement. In its original form, the proposed bill would have been one of the strictest in the country, denying... (laughs) Nice try trying to quietly open that can. (laughs) Um, Anyway, in its original form, the proposed bill would have been one of the strictest in the country, denying religious exemptions to all students in any public or private school. 
As an attempt at a compromise to get the legislation passed, it was recently changed so that it would only apply to public schools and require public public um, sorry <clears throat> and require private schools to collect and share data on unvaccinated students. Interestingly, this watered down version of the bill brought up concerns of elitism as those wealthy and dumb enough well, um, would then be able to buy their way out of vaccinating their children, ostensibly. Um, so that's all really kind of shitty because uh, vaccines are important. But the good news is that even under current allowances for exemptions, 94.2% uh, of grade school students in New Jersey in the 2018-2019 school year were vaccinated which meets the threshold for what infectious disease authorities call herd, herd immunity. immunity. Yay! Herd immunity, because <laughs> we're all just animals, um, which is important to protect the general population. Um, for example, you know, there, there's always going to be certain people that can't get vaccinated because they just they have a weak immune system. Right. Um, certain people with certain diseases, certain ages. Um, so having everyone who's able to get vaccinated be vaccinated protects people who are weak from catching diseases. We already weak from catching diseases from people who are strong enough to fight them off. Um, the bad news is that the number uh, of vaccinated children is down almost a full percent from five years prior, largely due to the anti-vax movement. Um, just for the record, vaccines are safe and important. As Senator Loretta Weinberg, a sponsor of the bill, said, the science is settled on this. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of uh, vowing of the sponsors of the bill that the fight's not over. Um, it was the reason it kind of fell apart when it did was like is because it was the end of the it, like, you know, the votes didn't happen the way they wanted. But it was also the end of the legislative um, like it's actually a two year uh, session, which is interesting. But um, but they're going to definitely be revisiting this for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do either of you have uh, your flu vaccines? Hell yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, Matt? No, I'm. I need to get uh, insurance. Oh, I, I do mean, not have my vaccine out of, either. <laughs> out of pocket at CVS isn't isn't that bad. Yeah, is it like thirty dollars? I think yeah, thirty forty maybe. It's not great. It's not cheap for a lot of people, but it, you know the at the risk. Flu's flu can be really bad. It was really it bad can this year. Be. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. knocked a lot of people out for a full week, and if you're an hourly paycheck person, for example. Get, paying that 40 bucks would have probably saved you more money if you got that sick. Yeah, I've been doing good for the past few years, but I mm -hmm. fell off the wagon. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you're right. Like people have been dropping like flies. Like yeah. with, stuff has been going around. People got strep, but strep, I, bronchitis, bad this year. I kind of I do think that it's good that they're saying like there are no exemptions, period, if mm -hmm. you're in a public school, because I do think part of it is if you want to be a part of public life and you're using public services and you're out and about dealing with mm -hmm. people from day to day, like it can't just be about what you personally yeah. want to do. Like totally. you have to give up something if you're going mm -hmm. to be. Which so. I think is is often is what is uh, going on with like the yeshiva schools for example is like this idea that they get to they are separate population because they're doing set private schools so they're like not um so they are allowed to say no but then it becomes like a lot of well I, there was like in the article i was reading from the new york times about um this bill in new jersey they um interviewed an, an infectious disease expert at rutgers university um which is the field straight out of my house of horrors to know. use Jasmine's parlance for when we were talking about that. But, um, and he was saying it is, it is also worrying that in a private school setting, there would be like a, a group of children all yeah. at risk all together. Um, yeah. Diseases really freak me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do either of you have any connections with people who are 
anti-vaxxers? Um, I'm trying to think. No, or, I th- or I'm any thinking... like insights onto like where that community, what they're reacting mm-hmm. to. I mean, the, so a few. I think a. Uh, God, almost a year ago, back last March, April, when I first got involved in the show was when the measles situation was outbreaking in California and New York. And we there was this really interesting interview with a uh, with members of the Hasidic community. And they um, brought up a lot of really interesting points about bodily autonomy and like, you know, Nuremberg codes and stuff like that, where it's like, you can't force me to do anything with my body. And of course, like bringing up like, you know, um, recalling the Holocaust and stuff like that is mm-hmm. very is a really interesting point. Um, but like, you know, if if I don't believe this is good for me, what gives you the right to force me to blah, blah, blah. But it's of course, like then you go into scary territory where it's like, well, science. <laughs> um, but yeah. like but there's a lot of people who are skeptical of science and like there's a lot of communities that have historically been abused by people in the name of medical research and science. The two things that I'm aware of as far as um big motivating factors to be an anti-vaxxer mm-hmm. would be believing that they con- that they're connected to autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one, which is, it's kind of fucked up because it's basically saying like you would rather have your child mm-hmm. be more likely to die than have the potential that they might have, they might be autistic, which is not great. But right. you know, there's also as like to your point, like there's a lot of black people that are very skeptical <laughs> because of the history of the way you know, we have been lied to in some cases and used as like guinea pigs and thinking, you know, the government could be putting something in these vaccines. Well, the so, tus- yeah, the Tuskegee like syphilis, um, quote unquote research, you know, just like being lied to and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because yeah. like like you're saying, there is always that, you know, you do have your own individual rights and it is like we you know, people often say my body, my choice. But then at what point does the, your right. choice impact other people? Right. Of course. You know, like yeah. there's there was a woman in my local area who was going to give birth and she was afraid to go to the hospital because mm-hmm. there was a measles outbreak. If you're a newborn. Yeah. And you're around someone, it's like, well, this is my decision to not get vaccinated. Your child can die because yep. they can't get that vaccine. So yep. it's like, where do you draw the line between yeah. Your freedom and then how that's impacting other people. Yeah, totally. And um oh what was it? I had a, such a good point. Um <laughs> all you the coffee, that. all the coffee is going to my brain. But I, um, I can feel the good point hovering <laughs> above your above your head. Like um, a thundercloud. We just need to wait for the Yeah. Uh, Why did you drink lightning? all this coffee? I, <laughs> I thought it was gonna be fun. Um anyway, so the right, it's it's also the lack of trust. the science is there. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I got it. I remember my point. So the point, the point I was making was that like we there's this weird thing ha- that happens where everyone who's having kids right now has always lived under um, this threshold, this like this life where we have vaccines and measles vaccines and we don't know how scary it is to be at risk for measles and polio and things like that. Right. That was and very common. They And polio was I was polio was a really scary one. Like they it would just. You can get it at the pool like kids were afraid to go out and because you could just get it and you could die. You could be paralyzed for your whole life. It was a really scary one. But we we've all lived. The people currently having kids have always existed under in a world where those vaccines meant you were fine. And so there's this there's maybe partly a well, there's misinformation because this belief that. Right. Like whatever risk this might carry is somehow worse than the actual disease, which it is not. 
And the right. risk is also not there. It's it's fake science. But like measles is bad. It is scary. All those diseases are very scary. And um, yeah. yeah. And there's also there's been several stories in the past year where people who are anti-vax will go like travel to a country mm-hmm. where they have a super high, you know, rate of having been vaccinated or they've been able to eradicate an illness. Mm-hmm. And then someone shows up. That's like, oh, la-di-da, and then bam, like, there's this massive outbreak. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very... (sighs) very scary. Yeah. It is. I mean, good on you for facing your fear and doing this disease story. I I was surprised it was you who picked it out. (laughs) Well, it's one of those things where this is stuff where it's like, well, I have my vaccine, so I'm, you know what I mean? It's it's easier for me to, like, put it in the back of my mind, but then, like, the, the infectious disease expert had this one line where it was like, we're one airplane ride away from, we're like the world's so small because of how easy air travel is. And we're one plane ride away from the next big thing. And I almost had like a full on panic attack. <laughs> just, yeah. I was just like, it was like, but we're like all the, everything closed in, but it's okay. It's all right. Because, uh, anyway, because if we're talking about it, that means people are, uh, are aware and working. Or- right. Well, there's that, there is that new disease in China that's happening, but, there's the I'm not gonna the who is on it World yeah. Health Organization well, is on we, it. We certainly are on a the brink of a paradigm shift in the entire medical science community, you know, because we need to find a better answer than uh, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And there's I think the world's going to be a lot different. So yeah. the way that we look back on polio and the ways that they used to like try to, uh, you know, the old school vaccines of just like sharing bandages. So, the way we look at that is is how people would view our current right. uh, implementations of vaccines and the, yeah. um, the angry uh, medical distrust that people have for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that the science is only getting better. And like, yes, we live in a scarier world that's smaller because of planes. But then, if you also think about it, we also live in a world that is so much more aware of how to prevent spread of disease, just mm-hmm. with hygiene, like you know, things like that. Um, how to keep from cat, like washing your hand, like how important washing your hands is. Yes, yeah. wash, wash your, your hands. goddamn hands. I see you when I work with you, and you leave the bath. I know what you did. <laughs> wash your hands, people. It is so important. Yeah. Um, well, just just picture um Kate Winslet. Is that the actor's name from the movie Contagion and Titanic? Oh, I am not it? seeing the movie Contagion. Oh, well, she was in that. Yeah, she's. she's you can't make me watch that movie, man. It's good. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> It's good for a panic attack. <laughs> she, she's, she, people like her are going to be in charge, or people like people that she's portraying. Anyway, anyway, um, should we cruise on to? Uh, I think Biggie it's Smalls? time. I think it's time. Um, so Sarah, who uh, one of our regular contributors, wrote the story, um, but couldn't be in the studio today to present it. But would one of you guys want to read it? Um, I'll do it. Since, cool, uh, Jasmine, you're coming up right on the heels of this one. Biggie cool. Smalls, or if I took out a. Uh, a store at the strip mall, I'd call it Biggie's Mall. And it'd be all <laughs> Biggie Smalls merch. Okay, Biggie Smalls oh. to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I thought I would bring, a, and this is in Sarah's voice, thought I would bring a good news story to the table this week. bed born notorious B.I.G. is to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This obviously crosses over into national news, but I think anything that represents the local community on a national level was worthy of Brooklyn news. Biggie's influence on rap music in the 90s has become legendary. Enough 
to be added to the Hall of Fame, even though he wasn't a rock act and is just the seventh hip-hop act artist uh, to be added. According to Spectrum News, New York fellow Brooklyn resident Leroy McCarthy said, Biggie represented Brooklyn to the fullest, McCarthy said. He spread love the Brooklyn way. He included Brooklyn in his lyrics. He included Brooklyn in his persona, in his moxie. He represented Brooklyn like a champ. End quote. This decision to me is thought-provoking in the way in the way genre is some is in some ways becoming fluid in this new age. I think that while it's cool that new artists can borrow from other genres to create new ones without fearing appropriation, i.e. Billy Eilish, it's important to honor and keep the original founders and icons of certain genres written in stone as a testament to music history itself and a chronicle of where we've come from. I hope you guys also have thoughts mm-hmm. on this. This is Sarah talking to us from mm-hmm. the past <laughs> into the future. And that's what Biggie Smalls because he's gone. And uh, his sound in the 90s is is one of the greatest time capsules of, of mm-hmm. that very angsty era. Uh, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm white. And the 90s to me is a lot of like white rock and roll, a lot of grungy, very angry, a bunch of dudes that didn't really have reason to be angry, like being angry. Mm hmm. Uh, but when uh, when Biggie Smalls hit the scene or hit the mainstream, mm-hmm. uh, man, it's just such such great beats. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is really cool. This is very cool news. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is. I think this. I mean, I know the Beastie Boys. I think were the first to get in that really weren't necessarily a hundred percent, like or that were like there was that question mark of whether they were rock or not. Because they have like rock albums, but they're also known as rappers. Yeah. And that was like six, seven years ago, eight years ago, 2012, because I'm a big Beastie Boys fan. But um, this is awesome. I think it's, it is cool. And it is interesting that, um, but he's like so solidly rap, like rap music. Yeah. And- I mean, I think at this point, like rock and roll, it is black music, like originally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that there has been a shift in a lot of people's minds, like where that can be forgotten. And in my in my opinion, like when you talk about people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like it's more or less recognizing people that have had a huge impact on popular music mm-hmm. and, you know, sound shift, you know, what becomes like the biggest selling genre changes over generations. So I'm glad he's getting this recognition, like even though he's no longer here, me, myself, personally, I would love to see little Kim get this mm-hmm. recognition, especially with so many female rappers now owing so much to her and the fact that, you know. She's still here. She's been through a lot. Yeah. You know, let's give people their flowers when they can yeah. smell them. You know, and you know what's interesting too is I was just—that's a really good point you just made. And I don't, you know, where, where, what other Hall of Fame is there out there that he'd be inducted to? Right there, is there like a rap Hall of Fame or like any other? This is like the main music one, I think, in terms of Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's good that there's a diversity of different types of music. Yeah, um, represented and who they induct and you know who's recognized. So. Yeah. It seems kind of like a weird club. Like, I don't think I would mm-hmm. want to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because it feels like it's so, like, uh-huh. like I, I picture, like, a bunch of, like, like older white dudes in, like, leather, like, <laughs> coats that are too clean. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. going to, like, New Orleans Jazz Fest or something. Yeah, I mean, the you have to have had... I don't know what the what the standard is for the release. Like, it had to be... If it had to be an album or something like that. But it has there's, like, a 25... It had to be... 25 year gap between whatever you did that was the start of 
whatever it is and the your induction mm. so um so there are like yeah like at 25 years is a lot of time to like get older and <laughs> like whatever you know what i mean mm. um get sort of like lamer if you will or more mainstream but um or i guess yeah, yeah it would be like so it's not like you're inducting the new hot thing that right nobody's gonna remember yeah. who they were in no, 10 told- years mm-hmm. but you know if people still know your name people are still listening to you sampling your music like mm-hmm. imitating the way that you write or the way that you rap or the way that you sing yeah then you know yeah like it makes sense that you would have your name written down in that great totally. book i also wonder what the how often someone posthumously gets into um and also someone who's been gone for so long and whose career was was relatively i guess short relative yeah. to people who were able to stick, you died stick, young yeah to stick out the whole 25 year expanse mm. it's interesting just and it goes to show how much influence he had in the amount of time he was actually making music yeah, I learned about Biggie Smalls um, fairly late in life. Well, I mean, that's not accurate. <laughs> Point is, that sounds about- like you're in the old folks' home. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's ready to go hang out with the old guys in the hall of fame. They're my uncles. I come from those people. Everyone who thinks like rock and roll is just like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. Nah. Okay. Um, but I was I I learned about Biggie Smalls because I was at this this bar when I was about like 19 or 20 and this dude like would do like he would like make his own beats or do like that one like man like loop station so he'd like mm-hmm. oh, or, yeah and he did a biggie song and i thought he was just doing original music mm. and i was just like blown away <laughs> and so like I, I went up and i was like god that was just incredible and i was like oh yeah biggie's the greatest and you like pretend oh yeah yeah, yeah i know i know <laughs> and you like walk around wrote it down your notepad <laughs> like went to check it out later um that's awesome i like a good little a good new like a nothing that's from my house of horrors <laughs> story <laughs> any other thoughts guys um i would i'm not sure if people know but there's a podcast series called oh, slow no. burn oh. Mm. Oh, yeah, and that. they're late i just listened to season two which is about the lewinsky scandal but the Ooh, latest se- yeah. it, which is, is excellent it's very well done but the last season season three is all about biggie and tupac mm. and all the backstory of you know how how they came up how their beef came to be what it was and then eventually how they were both killed so if you'd like to learn more yeah check that out it's slow burn love a good rack awesome mm. and uh so we're gonna take our first musical break um sarah also chose the music for today which is awesome and she appropriately picked a biggie song as our first break enjoy Detroit players, Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. Dead right, if the head right, Biggie there, and I. Papa been school since days of under rules. Never lose, never choose to. Bruce Cruz, who do something to us? Talk goes through us. Girls want to us, wanna do us, screw us, who us? Yeah, Papa and Pump. Close like Starsky and Hutch, stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry M3. Bang every MC easily. Recently, niggas frontin' ain't saying nothing, so I just. Keep my peace, Come keep on my peace. Cubans with the Jesus peace, with you, my peace. Packing, asking who want it. They got it, nigga, flaunt it. That Brooklyn bullshit, we on it. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. Uh, guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Biggie, 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 
Objection to the rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, your uh, Sunday news hour. Um, we are going to dive into some national news stories now. And first up is Jasmine. Hey, so first off, I want to say happy birthday to my little brother, Charles. Yesterday Aww. was his birthday. Happy- I think he's nine. Charles. So, <laughs> so still in his single digit years. Oh, baby. Um, but also speaking of important birthdays, we have MLK Day mm-hmm. coming up. So his um, the anniversary of his birth recently passed and we're going to be celebrating it on Monday. And in his spirit, I wanted to talk about this story that's unfolding in Oakland right now, because it's definitely connected to, you know, ideas of nonviolent resistance and popular protests. So this past Tuesday, early in the morning, um, police in Oakland, California, evicted a group of homeless mothers from a vacant home that they'd been occupying since November. Um, and this information is coming from The Guardian, Slate.com, and also Vice News, if you'd like to read the full articles. Dozens of sheriff's deputies battered down the door at 5.15 in the morning. And the reason why this story jumped out to me is when you see clips clips of what happened like these officers were equipped with riot gear and assault rifles and they were in the street and tanks 
and they forced the door open to evict the mothers and their supporters. Two of the mothers were arrested. One of them is Dominique Walker. She's a mother of two and a survivor of domestic violence and an organizer for Moms for Housing. That's for the digit four. And she was the first person to occupy the home on Mangolia Street or Magnolia Street, sorry. Walker and the other mothers were occupying the property to send a message about the lack of affordable housing in Oakland. The group says on their website that no one should be homeless when homes are mm-hmm. sitting empty. Yep. Um, rising housing prices have pushed them out of their homes and speculators are buying properties in the area, leaving them vacant and driving up the homelessness problem. The house at the center of the protest belongs to a real estate company called Wedgwood Incorporated. The company began the eviction process soon after Dominique Walker and another homeless mother moved in in November. Walker filed a claim of right to possession in December because the house had been vacant for over two years. So it wasn't just vacant for a few weeks. It's been an eyesore on the block. No one's been in it for several years. Mm. Hundreds of people in Oakland gathered outside the property this past Monday to join Moms for Housing in protesting gentrification and rising housing costs. Unfortunately, when the arrest happened, the children were not in the home because the mothers knew that it was coming. They made sure they had another place to go. Two mothers, Talani King, who's 46, and Misty Cross, 38, were arrested. Two of their supporters were also arrested. They were all charged with resisting and obstructing the eviction process. Um, Currently in Oakland, California, there's more than 15,500 vacant units. Hmm. while 4,071 people are counted as homeless. So we know that, you know, properties that are empty and the number of people that are homeless, sometimes the stats are a little bit off. But from this count, that means that there's almost four times as many empty units as there are people that are without homes. About 8% of all housing units in California are vacant. And some are, well, most people are blaming a lot of this on um speculators who have enough money to buy enough buy up empty properties just sit on it until they can you know wait for the highest bidder so they're not Hmm. buying them in order to rent them out right away it's all like they have the money to just sit on it for years and years at a time like while people are you know being pushed out like having to work three and four jobs like just to make rent and still Hmm. being unable to do it um This isn't just an issue that's happening in Oakland, like also across the country, there's an estimated 1.5 million condos and single family homes that are vacant, while roughly 552,000 people are without a home. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, this is I picked it as a national story because it's happening on the other side of the country. But Mm -hmm. as New Yorkers, this is something we see evidence of every day. There's plenty of development happening, but it seems like you see more and more people out on the street Mm -hmm. so um luckily the women have been released from jail they were able to get out tuesday afternoon but if you're interested in figuring out how to help or you want more information you can visit their website at www.moms4housing that's the letter for not don't spell it out dot com or dot org sorry awesome or not awesome but awesome job reporting that story (laughs) um yeah. Yeah, it's it's very um paradoxical when when you have a housing crisis it makes housing uh more affordable or yet more expensive, but that 
creates an incentive to just wait for the price to go mm-hmm. up. I think that's how it was explained to me about like why there's so why oh there's so many vacant um, yeah property. Well, I think I I, I know I was a I was in architecture real estate worlds for a few years, so I have like a little bit of an understanding of this stuff. Not expert on any level, but um, I I didn't know that Oakland had the property tax law, which is fascinating. Um, and it's also interesting to talk about that the issue going on in Oakland with in light of those laws versus New York. Because do you know anything about squatters' rights in Oakland? Do they have anything like that? Probably not. If they were able to get evicted. Yeah, no, it's like I from what I read, I didn't see anything saying that they had any protections. And that's one of the things that um, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. Mm -hmm. But Dominique Walker is an organizer with Moms for Housing and also AACE, I Mm -hmm. think, is the acronym for the group. You wrote ACCE in your write up. I don't know if that's. Yeah, that's them. So like Mm -hmm. they're working on things like trying to pass legislation to give um, squatters and tenants more Mm -hmm. rights. Yeah, because right now it's like, you know, we know corporations are not people, but they're Mm -hmm. treating this as if these women busted down somebody's door and Mm -hmm. kicked the family out. But yeah, because one thing while while New York has a pretty bad homeless population or homeless yeah population situation right now, um, there are like fairly very strong protections for tenants um, and for so there's there's a whole like the whole idea of squatters rights i don't i don't not an expert on that but my understanding is that if a property sits vacant long enough and you show up and just start if you're able to get in if you just start staying there and no one comes within a certain amount of time to to tell you you cannot be there because they're not taking care of the property they're essentially like because they're not taking care enough and to know that you're there they're like kind of giving up their rights to that like you can you can take over like in new york at least there's like very strong protections for people to get a place to live in that sense, even yeah. though, even though I like, even with that, people can't afford to like get into housing in the first place. A lot of the times here, they can't afford it. And also there's, that's one of the issues with something being legal, like something being legal doesn't necessarily mean all the people that need to have access to that information, mm-hmm. have access to it. So yep. like you would have to be educated enough to know mm-hmm. that those are your rights and have the ability and the will to follow through mm-hmm. with it. True. So that's another big issue. And I do think that there's always certain types of people that the powers that be are willing to just kind of, yeah. you know, skirt by you know and i think it's important to point out that all of the mothers and the supporters that were arrested were black women that have Mm -hmm. been struggling and out in oakland it's one of the places that's growing because of tech Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people moving in like making these super super high salaries um i believe it was a vice article said that said um right now you're considered mid quote unquote middle class if you're making two hundred thousand dollars a year um you know so it's really I think it's it's a unique situation because this seems to be something that has happened so fast mm-hmm. with like with Silicon Valley and so many people like companies moving out. So it's like what you see in other areas of the country, but on steroids. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of those housing issues came to light a few years ago when the ghost ship fire happened, too. I don't know if you all remember that, but it was like it was a bunch of artists and people without a lot of money squatting in this warehouse that was one big fire trap Mm -hmm. um, and thought they had the sort of utopian cheap way of living but it was unsafe Mm -hmm. and there wasn't anyone there was no one who knew about that 
was doing anything to make it safer, to make sure people that shouldn't be living there weren't living there. And it sort of highlighted the lack of housing options for people in that area that had come up. Um, yeah, yeah. Fires yeah. In, in property and housing rights uh, go hand in hand. In Minneapolis, there was a similar situation. There was a little uh, kind of warehouse with a bunch of artists and musicians on Lake Street that uh, burnt to the ground a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Just a couple of months ago, there was uh, some government housing that had fire where five people died, I think. Mm. And that's in like uh, public housing where Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be uh, highly regulated. Like there's like you can't blame that on just well the Windrush scandal, like what happened in the UK. Oh yeah, that was what was it called? Um, Grand was it Grandfield or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. What I don't remember what I'm confusing that with. No, but but they they had used cheaper materials that were not super fire safe. They'd use basically like materials that they kind of knew would get, were going to go up pretty fast if there was a fire. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. The one thing I, f- I forgot to mention is um, now that the mothers are out, like what they're looking to do is build a movement around the idea of housing as a human right mm-hmm. and not as a commodity. Mm-hmm. And they think, <laughs> yep. Yeah, like I agree with that. You yeah. know, my problem with the rent is it's due every month. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone needs a place to stay. So, you know, it's I do think that homelessness people being priced out it's a feature and it's not a bug like mm-hmm. when you treat something that is a necessity as you know a commodity something that people can gamble with like to enrich themselves like there's always going to be like this a class of people that are constantly churned out mm-hmm. um and if you have time if you're interested there's a book called evicted mm-hmm. by i think raymond desmond is the name it's evicted poverty and proper no wait what is it it's about like how in american cities like people can make money off of evicting people and keeping mm-hmm. like a revolving door of poor people going in and out yeah so. like it highlights that the the profit for renting to low-income people is higher than high-income right. people right yeah i mean that's a very real thing like there's people who are you know because of their race because of how much money they make etc like they might be quoted like a more expensive monthly mm-hmm. you know rent than someone else even though the other person could afford it more easily it's like there's an incentive to exploit um mm-hmm. poor people so because they don't have the resources to fight it they don't yeah um Great story, Jasmine. I'm going to I'm going to chug us along in the interest of time. I just want to get tattooed on my arm. Um, yes. My favorite phrase. Time for some Space Force. Space Force. Oh, wait, I wanted to do, mm-hmm. if I could, a little song for Charles. Charles. Is that your little brother's name? What? Yeah, that's his name. When I was learning how to do um, like sampling or electronic music, I made this song. This is to you, buddy. <laughs> it's a good thing that uh well i guess you we don't have to pay it anyway but there there used to be a like a really high uh fee to play happy birthday that ran out like two years ago oh, yeah one lady wrote it oh, nice. <laughs> oh yeah the the, the pet the, the smith sisters yeah oh, oh my god Matt. which is it, it's a good history because um they were educators and the song was uh good morning to you and it was like a way of starting class and these sisters kind of uh, had a bunch of theories and like pioneered a lot of great ways of educating young people, right? Mm. And so like they found one thing that like uh, they could make money off of, and they would donate the money to like 
you know, school stuff. Oh, that's pretty oh, beautiful. Okay. I didn't know that. I thought it was for personal gain. That makes me so much happier. Yeah. Um, great job, Matt. Matt is a very talented audio <laughs> person in general. Okay. That was wild. Yeah, wow. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Charles, your lucky day. <laughs> if he's listening, I don't even know. He's probably like, what are they talking about? <laughs> okay. Uh, Space Force. All right. U.S. military defends camouflage Space Force uniforms. I, I saw this on the BBC. I did a little write-up of it. The U.S. military has a legacy for being mocked when it comes to spreading our global reach outside the globe. From Ted Kennedy calling Reagan's strategic defense initiative Star Wars to Trump current uh, intergalactic arm of the military, which is called without any touch of sarcasm or irony, Space Force. <laughs> a new blunder came from the Jesus universe. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> no, let, let's dive into the re- that reaction. When I heard Space Force a year or two ago when it came off, I was just like, how can you, like, like how can you name something like that and not know that it sounds like satire or whatever? It's wild. Is that what you were responding to, Jasmine? <sighs> Just all of it. All of it. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's like Mars attacks or whatever. But let's <laughs> yeah, keep going. Keep right? going. Keep going. <laughs> a new blunder came from the uniforms. Traditional camouflage field military uniforms were, were repurposed for Space Force. Wait for it. Yes. <laughs> camouflage for space. The military's defense was that they were just, quote, utilizing current Army slash Air Force uniforms and saving cost of design slash producing uh, a new one, end quote. Another good excuse is, quote, members will look like their joint counterparts they'll be working with on the ground, end quote. And I actually do think that those excuses are fine, uh, but I do think it was uh, one massively missed opportunity because <laughs> <laughs> you could be designing dope-ass space <laughs> uniforms but instead just like these lame, you know, camouflage uniforms from like World War II. Um, <laughs> the history of camouflage is kind of interesting, though, if you think about mm-hmm. it. But uh, in general, it got me thinking about what Space Force does anyway. Their mission statement is, one, to protect the interests of the United States in space. Two, to deter aggression in, from, and to space. And three, conduct space operations. Fairly broad. The Air Force in which Space Force was part of, has a long history starting in 1982 in the Reagan days and more th- more theoretical, that active, what? <laughs> uh, and, but they, it was more theoretical than active back then, more right. like a research wing. In the 2000s, Donald Rumsfeld got curious and put some more money into it, but it wasn't until the current iteration with its new names uh, where Trump... Uh, brought Space Force into the armed forces as an independent branch, which means that there is up to 16,000 active duty and civilian personnel involved. And what do they do? I'm not actually that sure. All the reporting I could see was pretty broad, saying like new missions or, you know, making sure America is protected in space or whatever. Wild. Um you're so right about how if they're going to do like space uniforms, like what they could. I mean, to be fair, like astronauts don't wear anything too crazy, but like they could have done like just like a whole starry sky design and like just like so 80s. <laughs> I love it. I wish. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I'm not a fan of Galaxy Quest in real life. Mm-mm. Like this is 
I know. I know, guys. Um, any any major thoughts? Because we're we're running low on time, so I might I might mosey along unless you want to make another thought on the space force. Oh yeah, let's let's follow along, plowing along. Um, so we're we have been doing a regular segment, which is just a, a little a little update on what's going on with the impeachment or the election, since they're weirdly interlaced at the moment um, in some ways. And this this is just an impeachment update, though, since we've had some moves forward recently. And we are indeed chugging along. On Wednesday, the House of Representatives formally delivered impeachment charges to the Senate and what the New York Times dubbed a choreographed ritual. And it was a small, silent march with some folders, just in case you were wondering. Um, Seven House Democrats were appointed to act as impeachment managers that would prosecute their case before the Senate. And just to recap, the Senate is currently controlled by Republicans. And Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has literally said... I'm not an impartial juror. This is a political process. The House made a partisan political decision to impeach. I would anticipate we will have a large partisan outcome in the Senate. I'm not impartial about this at all. End quote from NPR. A lot of the research I got on this is from the New York Times. Though. Um, the impeachment managers put out a 46-page trial memorandum plus a 60-page statement of facts in which they wrote, President Trump's conduct is the framers' worst nightmare. End quote, and assert that he tried to pressure a foreign power, Ukraine, to help him win the 2020 election by withholding military aid and then tried to hide those actions from Congress. Um, in a six page formal response, Trump's lawyers did not deny any of the basic facts of the charges, but wrote the, that the articles of impeachment submitted by the House Democrats are a dangerous attack on the rights of American people to freely choose their president. This is a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and interfere with the 2020 election. End quote. And just a big sigh for me. <laughs> um, well, certain proceedings began Thursday. The trial will start in earnest on Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday. Um, fairly early on, we should expect a vote on whether to call witnesses at all, which is apparently something that can be voted on and which a small group of Republican senators worked to set up, presumably to vote no on it. Um also, fun fact, this is only the third time an impeachment trial against a U.S. president has occurred, the previous two times being with Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. Nixon resigned before he could be formally impeached, ironically the only president to have left office due to impeachment, just in a more psychological sense, since impeachment never officially happened. Um, yeah, no, uh, no bueno, <laughs> no me gusta. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's. This like feels like very Twilight zone that their whole defense is that like uh, there's not a defense. They don't deny that any of that stuff happened. And the whole trial is going to essentially be about the intentions of the people prosecuting and nothing to do with Trump. And it's alarming. <laughs> it, it is a funny I- idea. So it's like, let's say as an analogy, someone uh, walks up and like stabs you in the gut. Right. <laughs> right. And then you're complaining about them. And you're like, oh, man, like. We got to charge this person for gut stabbing. And everyone's like, no, that's just because you don't like them. Right. You just don't like this person that stabbed you in the gut. Right. Well, yeah, he stabbed me in the gut. He's like, well, if you didn't, if you don't like them because he stabbed you in the gut, you can't prosecute them for stabbing you in the gut because you're biased. All of it's crazy. And, and, you know, you just think back and it's just it's it's upsetting. And like back when um, Obama tried to appoint Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court and their whole argument was like, are you we got to let the people decide who they want to be president next before we let you do this? And it's like, but the people decided they wanted him as president. Like, what is what is it that you're doing here? And it's pretty it's pretty upsetting and scary. Yeah, I would I would say it was it was interesting. Um, 
There was somebody on Twitter that kind of got on my nerves, but like there were a lot of people, well, as many things do on the internet, <laughs> but there were a lot of people asking, thinking like, oh, if someone is impeached, that means that he's going to leave off. And Mm-mm. people were like, how do you remember Monica Lewinsky, but you don't know how impeachment happened? It's like, well, I was a child uh-huh. <laughs> when it happened. And it was so much in the, you know, cultural zeitgeist to mock her and mm-hmm. like slut shame her with, you know, I wasn't at an age where I was really following what was going on. And when I listened to that, the reporting about the Lewinsky scandal and like everything that happened before, it was something to hear, listen to how much of a conspiracy existed to just get rid of this Democratic mm-hmm. president. And, it, it, you know, it's it's it was fascinating that, you know, there there were people that definitely had like an agenda and it wasn't necessarily about like, oh, we need to protect young women from mm-hmm. predators. It was like convenient. not at all. Yeah. It was, it was like convenient to use that because you don't want this person's policies. Yeah. Enacted. I mean, I, I also was too young, but like my whole understanding of it was that it wasn't about. Yeah, it wasn't about protecting her at all. And it was very predatory. Like yeah. she's she's in he's in a position of like power, like right. ostensibly, like, you know, one of the most powerful people in yeah. the world. And she like, was being used as a pawn, yeah. you know, for political experience. Whereas yeah. this person like this um, 45, like at least the things that they're trying to impeach him on are related to what he's doing, like as a quote unquote leader. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, like, I yeah. I hope he gets impeached, but I, I don't want um, Pence to be president either. So, no. you know, it won't be for long, though, which is, would be the good news. I um I will say that uh they there was, you know, both sides. So like Democrats are hoping that in the face of these facts, Republicans feel the pressure to they can't just blindly follow on party lines and vice versa. Republicans are hoping that Democrats um, get anxious about hurting themselves in the upcoming election and, you know, back down or something. There's a lot of a lot of politics that play in this. And uh, this is the point when we would usually take a music break, but I think we're going to have to just, you know, push out our last two stories and just end with some music because we're running low on time. That my voice good. just cracked. Um, <laughs> so we have a world story that Teresa, my uh, our official other co-host who's absent today, wrote up. And does anyone want to read that one? I'll read it. All right. All right, so forgive me because I did not read this in advance, so I will do my best. On the fly. Um, Berlin summit on the Libyan war. So Teresa got this information from Al Jazeera. Uh, today in Berlin, Germany, the two leading parties involved in the Libyan war will participate in a summit aimed at ending the nine-month-long conflict that has been abreast in the country. Representatives from foreign backers and other nations will also attend the summit in an attempt to restore stability and peace to Libya, which has been divided between competing factions and militias since Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown and killed during the 2011 uprising. Recent months have seen an increase in military involvement from foreign powers with mercenaries from Russia and the United Arab Emirates bolstering air support for Commander Khalifa Haftar's forces in the Libyan National Army. Russia and Turkey did manage to broker a ceasefire earlier this month. There has also been debate about enforcing a UN arms embargo on Libya to bring peace to the nation. However, convincing all the parties to stop providing weapons to the warring factions has been a a challenge, making the international interference a constant contributor to the conflict. Motivated by commercial interests, geopolitical advantages, and regional rivalries, foreign backers have not shown any willingness to disengage. 
The UN hopes all parties will sign on to a plan to refrain from interference and commit to a truce that leads to a lasting end to hostilities. Um, and Teresa had some questions at the end that I think she wanted us to answer. Do you believe that these peace talk summits work? Hmm. How do we define sovereignty in 2020 when the world hmm. is so interdependent? Hmm. Very interesting questions, Teresa. And thank you for reading Jasmine and Teresa for researching. Um, I think that peace talks work, but often temporarily and often not forever in the way that we might hope. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a part. Um, it was good good news a couple months ago when the Libyan refugees temporary something visa status got extended. Remember what mm -hmm. that's called? It's like TIP or TPS or something. Maybe yeah. is that it? And so, I mean, that that's good news for the for the people that have had to come here. Um, and when you were reading it, and you're talking about uh, Gaddafi getting overthrown and killed before today's uh, show, we were talking about Martin Luther King and uh, and assassinations. And my idea is that assassinations never work for the people that think that they want to work. So Gaddafi gets violently overthrown and killed, um, but that leads to instability. Saddam Hussein gets uh, executed quite quickly, um, and he was overthrown by us, which led to awful things. Um, mm -hmm. um, and so, I don't know, I've just kind of been thinking about that lately. Like, does the, these quick acts of violence, mm. are there any good examples of them working? The pacifist in me obviously is making an argument that they don't work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think um, I wish I'll probably try to look into this more on my own after just to be more informed about what's going on in this particular conflict. But I think it's important to remember, you know, how much meddling from outside forces contributes to this, you know, like these wars of attrition, basically, mm -hmm. you know, like where are these weapons coming from, mm -hmm. you know, who's fueling who and who's backing who, you know, that makes it possible for there to be you know, murder on such a large scale that mm -hmm. perhaps it had it not been for that interference, I'm sure there would still be conflicts, but perhaps like these people wouldn't have the means to kill so many and, at one yeah. time. You know, like if we think about the gun lobby here, it's like there's so many powerful mm -hmm. forces behind making sure there's easy, quick access to these weapons. So I'm not really a big believer that you can ever get everyone to love each other and not have it in their heart to want to do harm. But I do think it makes a difference if you don't give people the tools to be able to enact yep. large scales of harm on other people. You know, that's a better outcome. And that's probably the best that we can hope for. It's important so. to also always remember to follow the money who who profits from what's going on in yeah. most situations. Ooh, that's an tell impeachment you. reference. I think it might be, but honestly, I think about it all the time. And, you know, if, if you can't most, almost every situation you're looking at, if you figure out who's profiting from it, it'll tell you a lot about what's going on, regardless of what all right. sides are talking about. Right. Um, it's it, rarely ever about these lofty ideals mm -mm. of protecting freedom. Mm -mm. That people it's about people claim. protecting their own pockets a lot of the time. Um, and if you find a situation where that's not true, then then you can get to a real conversation, maybe. But majority of the time, war makes money for certain people. Um, and, you know, creating and selling guns makes a hell of a lot of money for certain people. 
Uh, all right. And I think we're going to we're going to go out on our uh, good news story that Teresa also put together from uh, the CNN uh, report. Uh, <clears throat> so a five year old student at an elementary school in Vista, California, collected enough money to pay off the negative lunch balances of 123 students at her school. Caitlin Hardy, a kindergartner at Breeze Hill Elementary School, overheard a parent say she was having difficulty paying for an after school program. Caitlin's mom explained, she, uh, quote, she started asking me a lot of questions that I just tried to explain to her that sometimes people aren't as fortunate and that we need to try to be kind and give what we can. So Caitlin decided to set up a stand on December 8th, spending her Sunday selling hot cocoa, cider and cookies. Caitlin and her mom donated the $80 collected, which went towards paying off the negative lunch balances of over 100 students at her elementary school. Caitlin's next goal is to raise enough money to pay off not only all the negative lunch, uh, to pay off other stuff, I think. Wait. To pay off all the negative lunch balances, right? Not just the 100. Got it. Yeah. All the negative lunch balances. Yay. Um, to help her in her new mission, which she calls um, hashtag Kiki's Kindness Project. Other students and staff at Breeze Hill will host a hot cocoa and baked goods stand on Saturday to raise more money to pay off negative school, school, uh, negative school lunch accounts at the school. After all the accounts in the entire district have been paid off, Caitlin will then use the money to uh, raise to help support school programs, which will be removed due to budget cuts. Um, awesome. You can you can make a difference. Yeah. Out there, guys. Yeah, and if you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available in the App Store for the iPhone or on the Google Play Store for Android. Awesome, guys. Um, so we're just about out of time. Any last thoughts, guys? I would say... Uh... Since we talked about the Space Force and now we have children that don't have money to <laughs> yeah. eat, there's a yep. very good song that I really love by Gil Scott Heron. It's called Whitey on the Moon. <laughs> so I, <laughs> you know, and he says, you know, I can't pay my doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. So, oh, you know, man. it's a very good song to listen to. You know, we have money for some things, but not for others, unfortunately. So uh, I would have, if we had time to pull that up, <laughs> we're, we're almost out of time to even play any of the song that we have lined up. But, um, but thank you for that, Rec Jasmine. Um, we have you've been listening to Objection to the Rule live on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back next week at one p.m. Bye. 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 Oh, and this is oh, this is Anderson yeah. Pack, by the way, featuring Brandy. It's called Jet Black. She was a fan, but a friend didn't care. I like the ones who buy their own damn beers. If you want to toast to the life that you live, pour enough shots for the whole year. Jet black hair, baby, jet black hair. Matte black Jeep with the Rubicon grill. Who has been a while, baby, don't go there. Who has been a while, baby, come here. Shaped black pear, baby, jet black hair. You bought the drinks and I paid no care. Hold a nigga down, don't.